Sirius XM and Augusta National present The Masters Show. And comes out for a 68. Ben's best round of the four-day tournament. Hogan wins his first Masters. Mark O'Meara has won the Masters, birdieing the 72nd hole. Ben Bradshaw has won the Masters for a second time. Masters history conversations with past champions, previewing this year's tournament and celebrating the unique traditions of the Masters. Bernard, when we put this jacket on you, you become a member of Augusta National Golf Club. You're invited to play in this tournament for the rest of your life. Well, okay. Thank you very much. I'm very proud of that. The Masters Show with your host, Taylor Zarzer, begins right now on Sirius XM. Thank you, Brian Katrick. In 87 days, Bright and early on a Thursday morning just after sunrise, Augusta National Golf Club Chairman Fred Ridley will be on the first tee. There will be patrons surrounding him, and he will announce that Gary Player, Jack Nicklaus, and Lee Elder are there to hit honorary tee shots and christen the 2021 Masters, the 85th playing of this terrific tournament. To go back to the beginning, we must go to 1930. Bob Jones of Atlanta, Georgia won the Grand Slam of golf and decided to retire from competitive play and start his own club and tournament. Jones partnered with an investment banker from Iowa named Clifford Roberts and bought the South's first plant nursery on some land in Augusta, Georgia. He enlisted the help of golf architect Alistair McKenzie of England to build the course. McKenzie designed more than 50 courses worldwide, including Cypress Point in California and Royal Melbourne in Australia. Alistair McKenzie, after designing this beautiful piece of property, passed away in January of 1934, just two months before the first Masters tournament. Now, Jones originally thought it might be great to have this in the U.S. Open rotation, to have Augusta National Golf Club stage the U.S. Open. But because of how hot it was in the summer, Jones and the USGA decided he should have his own tournament. So Jones invited his friends and associates to play in the first event before it evolved into a world-class field. If you go back to 1934, the first Masters then called the Augusta National Invitational Tournament was held March 22nd through the 25th. Horton Smith beat a field of 72 players, finishing at four under par, one shot ahead of Craig Wood. Course co-creator and tournament founder Bobby Jones finished 10 shots behind at six over in a rare competitive appearance. Interesting, the nines were reversed that year, changing to their current configuration the following year. Horton Smith's winning paycheck was $1,500. The first Masters was in the books. Three years in the mid-40s, they were not able to have it due to the war. This past year, unfortunately, we could not have it in April, but so thankful we could have a November Masters instead, and good Lord willing, we'll be there in 87 days, back in the springtime in April, to stage the 85th playing of this terrific event. Let me tell you the plan for this show. Brian Katrick went through some of it in the open of the program, talking about how we will do interviews with past champions and those 
that have qualified for this year's event, those that are so important to the playing of the Masters. We'll go through the field each week. Mr. Katrick will help us with that, and we will discuss the buildup to the 2021 Masters. I love listening to those old moments that our producer John Albanese put together in the open of the show. You hear Mark O'Meara winning the Masters 23 years ago, his lone green jacket in 1998, Ben Hogan being interviewed afterwards and just overwhelmed with joy to win the Masters. And I love that moment that was captured in the Augusta National Archives as Horde Harden, the former chairman in the early 1980s, congratulates Bernhard Langer for winning the 1985 Masters and told Langer he could come back and play in the event for the rest of his life. Mr. Langer certainly took that seriously. At 63 years old, he's still competing in the Masters, still beating the likes of Bryson DeChambeau and playing at such a terrific level into his mid-60s. Can't wait to see Mr. Langer and the others that will compete this year. Of course, the defending champion is Dustin Johnson, winning his first green jacket in his second major championship and doing it in record fashion as he shot 20 under par, 268 in total in November. Unbelievable performance by the man from South Carolina who was overwhelmed afterwards in an emotional interview on television. You could tell it meant so much to the top-ranked player in the world to be wearing that green jacket. Who will wear it next? Will Rory McIlroy, in his seventh try to complete the career Grand Slam, don that green jacket that means so much to him? Will Webb Simpson, who grew up in the Carolinas, wearing yellow shirts on Sunday because his dad Sam wanted him to, put some green on top of that yellow? Will Justin Thomas, with his father Mike, overwhelmed with joy in the background, Watch one of the top players in the world win his first Masters. Bryson DeChambeau has changed his entire physical appearance, in large part because he wants to win a green jacket so badly. Will he be able to achieve that here in 2021? Spain has such a rich history with the Masters. You go back to Seve Ballesteros, Jose Maria Olazabal, and of course, most recently, Sergio Garcia won the Masters. Will they also welcome John Rahm into that fraternity as he wins his first major championship and makes it the Masters? What a story that would be. Or can you imagine if Tiger Woods wins his 83rd PGA Tour event, setting the all-time record, tying Jack Nicklaus with a sixth green jacket? What if Phil Mickelson at almost 51 wins his fourth or Bubba Watson wins his third? where Patrick Reed wins his second. The possibilities are endless. In total, we have 53 winners of the Masters, 34 that are still with us, 33 that typically still come to Augusta National during the tournament, although there are more than a dozen that no longer compete. The one that isn't able to come anymore is Jack Burke Jr., 97 years old, Jack will be 98 later this month. He's the oldest living winner of the Masters. Just unable to travel that far anymore, and you certainly can understand that. Jack lives in Houston, Texas. 
runs Champions Golf Club still to this very day. And he is going to be our first ever guest on the Masters Show. That is coming up next as you listen to the Masters Show on Sirius XM. He can gather his nerves and his emotions. He can play the shot. I've been very impressed by all three's composures, but mainly Larry's. He's been very, very calm. Now back to the Masters show. How's that look? Oh! Words do not do justice to the greatness of that shot. Simply incredible. On Sirius XM. The Masters Show continues on Sirius XM. As promised, we're now joined by Jack Burke Jr. from his home in Houston, Texas, the 1956 Masters champion. Jack, it's Taylor Zarzer. It's an honor to talk to you. How are you today? I'm doing good uh, for 97. (laughs) Uh, That's not an easy number. Well, I know you have another number uh, coming up in a couple weeks. Yeah, those birthdays get you. <laughs> I know that they do. Um, Mr. Burke, you, you live, you've lived in Houston almost your entire life. How old were you when you moved from Fort Worth to Houston? My dad came from Philadelphia. The people in Fort Worth were trying to get golf to come south, and they hired him to in, in Fort Worth, and then my dad came to uh, a club here in Houston, River Oaks, and he brought Donald Ross with him to build a golf course here in Houston. And I grew up uh, with that with that at the dinner table about every night. I was I was about nine years old. And I know your father was a great player in his own right. He was a, a great pro player. Came close to winning major championships. Uh, Jack, what is your first memory of your dad teaching you the game? Well, my dad uh, uh, was a good teacher, and that's why they got him. They they got him from Fort Worth because he taught a lot of people. He taught Harvey Painting. He taught uh, Jack Grout, Dick Grout, uh, who taught Nicholas. <clears throat> he had a, a simple way of teaching, and he didn't want you going to the first tee with a whole lot on your mind. No question. Um, Jack, when did you think you when did you think you had a chance to be a great player? I didn't even I, I, didn't, I was never brought up thinking about that. I was thinking more about uh, the caddy yard that I was in. And uh, we used to take a pocket knife and cut a hole in the dirt and putt down there for 10 cents a putt. Uh, I, I was more interested in that than I was in my future. Of course, you went off to war, served our country in the Marine Corps, and um, we're certainly all thankful for your service. When, when you came back from the war, what were your plans uh, to, to make some money? Well, I was in the Marine Corps for four years, and. Uh, you're not thinking a lot about uh, winning a golf tournament in there, I'll tell you. But uh, I was lucky I didn't get hit with anything. I got I got hurt a couple of times, but I, but I didn't. It wasn't fatal, at least. Not that I know of. 
<laughs> and thank, we're thankful for that. And, and you came back and you were an assistant pro at Wingfoot for Claude Harmon. Tell us how instrumental was uh, Mr. Harmon in your development as a player? Well, uh, Craig Wood is the one that got me that job because Craig uh, was a member at Wingfoot. And uh, well, at one time in, in Florida, I was playing alongside of him. He asked me what I was getting ready to do. And I said, well, I'm just looking for a job. He said, he said, you uh, come to my hotel. So he came over there and he called this man. He said, I got you a man. Uh, he, he'll be at the train station with a golf bag and a, a little handbag. You'll, you'll know him. And so they, I met this fellow who was a member of uh, the Hollywood Club in Deal, New Jersey. I got that job first, and then I got a job with Claude Harmon. And then the next year, Mr. Burke, you won the Metropolitan Open in, in 1949, which to this day is still a very big deal in New York if, if you win the Met up there. It's one of the toughest sections, as you know, in, in professional golf. The following year, you won four times in 1950, and you qualified for your first Masters. How big of a deal was that to you to qualify for the Masters back then? I didn't even know that you could qualify for the Masters, to be honest with you. And uh, the fact that I won the Met Open was a big deal for me because it was the biggest tournament in the New York area. And uh, I did it at the club I was working at, the Hollywood Club the Metropolis Golf Club in White Plains, New, New York. I won it there. And, and as you said, uh, the, the Masters Tournament, no one knew how big of a deal it would be. Uh, from the, Over the course of the next five years, you had some great finishes in it. You, you finished 11th, 2nd, 8th, 6th, and 13th in uh, your 2nd through 6th masters appearances yet you hadn't won in three years coming into the 1956 masters did you have some close calls where you almost had a chance to win no i once you play the masters you, you sort of know what's out there for you mm -hmm. and you know how you're going uh putting is a big thing at, at augusta and i could always putt pretty good uh so i didn't think about much more than just getting to the green and I didn't ever shoot at a flag because I couldn't hit it with a rifle. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I just tried to get the ball on the green. I would putt to a cup that's a little larger than the one that was on the green and so I didn't three putt a lot because I got my putt, my ball in that little circle. It was the length of my putter, and uh, I always had a lot of confidence in that. I didn't three-putt very often. Some great lag putting, and it's still a, a huge deal to be successful doing that to this day. Well, you, you, just, you just have a feeling for the game makes you roll a ball, but your, your putting stroke is no different than your right arm, the way you'd roll a ball with your right arm only thing you get, your right arm's got now is a putter in it. 
but you roll it with the same intention of rolling something and not hitting something. Is there a story uh, from Mr. Demerit? I was was riding back with Mr. Demerit from Augusta one year and told him that I had only three-putted twice in two years. And he pulled the car over and he said, you don't have a green jacket? He'd already had three of them. (laughs) Well, you would get one in, in 1956. And what's really neat about 1956 to me, Jack, is that I'm, I don't know if you know this, but CBS televised the third and the final rounds for the first time with Chris Schenkel and Bud Palmer calling the action. Were you aware of the fact that the Masters was on television for the first time in 1956? Right. I never will forget uh, the wind was blowing maybe 30 or 40 miles an hour. And uh, it just, I was standing on the first tee, ready to tee off, and Doug Ford was standing there by me. He wasn't going to play with me. He just was standing there. And uh, I told him, I said, I'd take 77 today and never go out here. He said, I'll take 78. <laughs> so the win, the second hole is a par five. I've never been on it with anything in my bag. I went over the green on my second shot with a five iron. That's how hard the wind was blowing. Wow. And, of course, uh, TV was able to capture those images for the first time ever. Um, It's obviously interesting what happened in that event uh, back in, in 1956, Mr. Burke. Ken Venturi had a big lead for three days. In fact, you were eight shots back going into the third round and into the final round. Did you ever think you had a chance? No, I, 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 I didn't, I didn't talk to Venturi at all. I didn't have a chance to win it until I got to the 71st hole. And then I was, I was under par and the only other guy under was Snead. So you birdied the 12th hole, which got you in contention. And as you said, there was a big two-shot swing on the 17th hole when you made birdie. What do you remember about making birdie on the 17th hole? Well, I, I putted uh, from the fringe of the green, I putted about 20 feet and got it in. And I was playing with Mike Suchek, and he came over and trapped me on the back, and he said, the, the guys behind you are falling back. you got a good chance. So I had to walk to the end of the tee to square that slap that he hit me on my back. And <laughs> I, got down, I got down the fairway, and at Augusta, in a wind blowing like that, you never want to miss the green to the left because you'll not be able to put it back on with the wind blowing so hard. You can't hardly chip it back back to the green. And I got it in a bunker to the right of the flag. And uh, I put, put a little bunker shot out of there about four feet. And uh, I'm, ne- I'm never asked a caddy uh, on a break line because you're always going to get two lines. But Pappy was my caddy. I said, Pappy, this putts inside the hole, isn't it? He said, it sure is, Pro Cruiser on in. So I got it in, and uh, 
that turned out to be the low score. Suchek then uh, gave you a bear hug uh, after that uh, as you as you it ended up winning the tournament by one. Uh, Mr. Burke, we're going to listen to the highlights of that. I hope you'll be able to hear it. Here is uh, here are the highlights as told by Ed Herlihy in 1956 at the Masters. Ken Venturi, the amateur, tees off at Augusta, four strokes up on his nearest rival, Kerry Middlecoff, defending champ in the Masters tournament. No amateur has ever won. Eight strokes behind Venturi going into the final round is Jack Burt, Jr., personable veteran of the pro circuit. The gallery is rooting for the young San Francisco amateur, but gives the defending champ a hand when Kerry sinks one. But the big story is Venturi's collapse and Burke's rally, climaxed by this terrific shot out of the trap on the final hole. A little English puts him only four feet from the cup. Ken Venturi captured the hearts of all who followed his fortunes, but Jack Burke Jr. holds out one stroke up to win the title and $6,000. Partner Mike Suchak is first to hail the new master of the masters. He wears the green coat of victory as Bobby Jones offers congratulations. A pro is still champ. It's really amazing to watch that, Mr. Burke, and watch that incredible bunker shot that you hit there on the 18th green. You hit it, as you said, four feet above the hole, made the putt. Mike Suchek gives you this huge embrace, and you are the Masters champion as Bob Jones put that green jacket on you. Was it the biggest moment of your career? After you play a certain amount of golf, you, you concentrate on what you're doing, not what you're not doing. You're not winning. You don't. You don't know if you're winning. There could be a guy behind you that got you by four shots. You don't know it. So you you don't get it. You concentrate on what you're going, what you're doing, and not what you're not doing. If if I win, they'll come tell me. And that's the way that was. And that's exactly what they did. And then you won the PGA Championship right after that. Right, I beat a, a friend of mine, Ted Kroll, in the finals, and uh, so it gave me two. And uh, an untold story is that my check wasn't any good. Uh, I won the tournament. I think it was a nine thousand dollar check, and the PGA in those days only had a secretary and a a guy in Sarasota, Florida. So it was a pretty, as far as the tournament is concerned, it was good for the pros, not too good for the money. <laughs> that certainly has changed today. Um, what does it mean to you, Mr. Burke, to be a Masters champion? Well, I just enjoy what Bobby Jones and Cliff Roberts have put into the game, uh, moving the game from Philadelphia. My dad was from Philadelphia. And he, uh, he had always tried to move the game down to Texas, but uh, they, Bobby Jones, got it as far south as Georgia, and they paid paid a lot of time and a lot of money to do it. They certainly did, and uh, you are so beloved in that place. Let me ask you just one final uh, thing, Mr. Burke. How would you describe Augusta National Golf Club? Well, it was not a big club, and uh, there was just some guys down in that part of the country trying to make something out of it, and uh, particularly uh, Mr. Roberts and uh, Mr. Jones. And uh, I think Augusta is just 
one of a kind. We're not going to find it again. And so the kids are coming up right now. I hope they appreciate it. Well, I, I certainly thank uh, you so much for joining us, uh, Mr. Burke. Uh, it's an honor to talk to you here on the Master Show. Happy early birthday, too. Thank you very much. <laughs> he had such a huge smile on his face as we did that interview. And as he said, thank you right there. In fact, uh, I did record the video conversation and some of that will be available via our social media channels on Sirius XM that I know our producer, John Albanese, will send out via social media. But what a delightful man, almost 98 years old. I'd especially like to thank his bride, Robin, who was standing by his side during that interview and, and helping if he didn't understand a question. And still to this day, People love to celebrate Jack Burke Jr. in the Houston area when they come to Champions Golf Club, and I wanted to ask Robin about that. Hey, Robin, I have one question for you. Just as he goes, sure. ar- as he goes around Houston and, and um, people come up to him at the club and, and play the course, um, it, just how big of a deal is it to get to talk to him about the Masters? Does everybody do that? Oh, they love it. Uh, they really enjoy coming into his office because there's so much history, you know, uh, 60 some odd years of history in here and the pictures and the photographs um we actually have his master's jacket here at the club uh for a little while um it's in the texas golf hall of fame and in or the sports hall of fame in waco but uh we had him bring it up and uh we try to have it during master's week you know because the members love it and uh they love him and what he's done for the game and the community and and uh we're just, he, he comes to work seven days a week and, and the members still look for offices on the putting green though. That's where he, that's where he enjoys being the most. What a thrill to get to talk to Robin and Jack Burke Jr. Jackie is one of 34 living winners. At least 14 won't compete this year in the 2021 Masters. But what about those that will and the others that have qualified? For the Masters. We'll go through the field in the 2021 Masters next on the Masters Show on Sirius XM. Whether you're on or off the course, greatness takes more than skill, it takes dedication. That's why, as an international partner of the Masters, UPS is dedicated to driving innovation that powers your business. Growing your business means adapting to stay ahead. So, UPS has tools beyond just shipping that meet the specific and ever changing needs of business owners. If you're looking to take your business global, do it with help from UPS experts and international services made for business of all sizes. With UPS automated tracking tools, you can stay in control and save time by seeing everything all in one place. Plus, with faster ground shipping now offered nationwide, you can surpass customer expectations and outpace the competition. And if you've taken your business online, you can find UPS wherever you sell. Count on UPS to help your business grow so you can be bold, be brave, be unstoppable. We appreciate the partnership of UPS with Masters Radio and here on The Masters Show. The Masters Show on Sirius XM. Masters champion of 1977, Tom Watson, the pride of Missouri and Stanford. Thank you, Brian. We'll come right back to you in just a moment as we take a look at the Masters field here in 2021. 
want you to know that coming up in just a few minutes, we'll also talk about some of the greatest traditions at the Masters and a special anniversary this year as well. But right back to Mr. Katrick with a look at the 2021 Masters field. Well, Taylor, as you know, there are 84 players currently in the field for the 2021 Masters. Interestingly enough, the action at the Century Tournament of Champions did not directly affect the field as Harris English was already in, having qualified for the Tour Championship, and Joaquin Neiman was also already in a couple different ways for Joaquin, including having gotten into the Tour Championship at the end of 2020. So uh, that was something that wasn't on the line in that exciting playoff over the weekend at the Century Tournament of Champions. The field sits at 84. Eight, there are 19 different criteria that you can choose to qualify from, use to qualify from. Number one, appropriately enough, the past champions. And there are 20 past champions that look like they might play. Trevor Immelman has a broadcasting question, uh, some broadcasting responsibilities. Uh, Sir Nick Faldo could play, but chooses to broadcast. We'll see what Trevor does. But as of right now, 20 players out of category number one. Category number two are the U.S. Open champions from the last five years. Dustin Johnson uh, qualifying for that. Also, having won the tournament, he becomes category one also. He's going to have a lot of different ways that he gets in the field. Brooks Kepka, Gary Woodland, and Bryson DeChambeau bringing the field to 23 players. The last five Open champions, well, there's really only four because they didn't play one last year. It'll be interesting to see if Shane Lowry takes the traditional spot that he had with Tiger Woods and Andy Ogletree. Usually it's the Masters champion, the U.S. Amateur champion, and the Open champion in that traditional Thursday-Friday grouping. Well, Shane Lowry will have the spot for a second year in a row. Most likely it'll be Shane, Dustin Johnson, and Tyler Strafacci this time around. Uh, PGA champion the last five years. This will be the last chance for Jimmy Walker, his last Masters invitation based on that exemption. And the players' champions for the last three years. Well, we didn't have one of those last year, so it's just Webb Simpson and Rory McIlroy, but we will have one between now and the Masters. We should have had an Olympic gold medalist in 2020, but didn't. So Justin Rose's exemption was just the one year. We will not fill Category 6 for 2021. There are U.S. Amateur champions and runners-up in this particular case, Tyler Strafacci and Ali Osborne taking Category 7 and bringing the field up to 33 players. There was a British amateur as 23-year-old Englishman Joe Long brings the field up to 34 players. The Asia-Pacific amateur, the Latin American amateur, and the U.S. mid-amateur were not played, so those were three more amateur spots that will go unfulfilled. The great tradition of the greatest amateur to ever play, Bobby Jones. That's why there are so many amateur spots in the tournament that he started. The top 12 and ties from last year's Masters were exactly 12 players. That brings the field up to 40. The top four from last year's U.S. Open, the top four from the PGA Championship, bringing the field up to 47. Then your tournament winners from PGA Tour events last year. Remember, it was a limited season. It's Category 16. There were 11 players that got in this way. Uh, the top 30 in FedEx Cup points, making it your way to the Tour Championship got you in. That's another way that uh, both Harris English and Joaquin Neiman got in. And the top 50 
from the previous year in the World Golf Rankings. A big cutoff at the end of calendar year 2020. Category 19 is the other World Golf Ranking cutoff. It's March 28th, 2021. Players have until then to get in the top 50 in the world to qualify for the 2021 Masters. Uh, there are lots of guys on the bubble. We'll be keeping our eyes on them in this slot. In previous weeks, Taylor, it's going to be exciting as we make the march toward April. Thank you, Brian. Terrific to go through that list of 84 players that are qualified for the 2021 Masters and get some perspective on all the different ways you can qualify. Just so you know, Dustin Johnson is the most qualified player right now. He went through the number of different categories. DJ qualifies seven different ways. As Brian told you, there are 19 ways to qualify. DJ will also be in an eighth way because he will be in the top 50 as of the end of March. So he will be in at least eight different ways in the Masters, which is remarkable. And again, that's the most qualifications of any of the 84 participants. Bryson DeChambeau is second best. Even though he has not won the Masters, he has qualified six different ways in the tournament. And you have a handful of guys that have qualified five ways, like Justin Thomas, Webb Simpson. Also, Colin Morikawa is on that list of those that have qualified five different ways. And you mentioned Harris English. Harris is in four different ways. After being outside the top 300 in the world 18 months ago, he's now inside the top 20. Amazing resurgence by Mr. English, winning for the third time in his career out there in Maui. Brian told you we'll have either 19 or 20 past champions in the field, depending on whether Trevor Immelman concentrates on broadcasting or tees it up in the event. I love going through all those other qualifications. Brian mentioned the Open champions in the last five years, category number three. It's the only way 2016 Open champion Henrik Stinson is in the field. We will have an Olympic gold medalist hopefully later this summer that will qualify through Category 6 for the 2022 Masters. And it is. It's a bummer that three different amateur events weren't able to be played in the last 12 months due to COVID. He mentioned the Asia-Pacific amateur, the U.S. mid-amateur, both canceled. And this week, we would have had the Latin America Amateur Championship, which would have taken place in Peru that will be scheduled for 2022 in early January. A terrific event that Augusta National Golf Club, the United States Golf Association, and the Royal Ancient put together just over six years ago. Joaquin Neiman won it in 2018 qualifying for the Masters. So they've had some terrific winners. And once again, I hope that they can have it again in 2022. So Brian was telling you about the top 12 and ties get in to the following Masters, and we only had 12 in the top 12. Dylan Fratelli, C.T. Pan, and Corey Connors all qualified to get in through their great play in November. How about the recent winners on the PGA Tour, like Michael Thompson in Minnesota or Jim Herman in Greensboro? Stuart Sink won for the first time on the tour in 11 years and qualified for his first Masters since 2014 by winning in Napa. Hudson Swafford won in the Dominican. Martin Laird won in Las Vegas a few months ago. 
49-year-old Brian Gay won in Houston, or excuse me, Carlos Ortiz won in Houston, Brian Gay won in Bermuda, and Robert Streb won in Sea Island, and they all made it in through winning on the tour. Sebastian Munoz, Lonto Griffin, Cam Champ all made it in by great play throughout the year that qualified them for the tour championship. And how about those that were hanging on in the top 50 at the end of the calendar year? Ian Poulter was 48th in the world. Matt Wallace of England was 50th, the last man in on December the 31st as he was 50th in the world. Now, of course, if you're in the top 50, as Brian told you, as of March 28, 2021, you will be in the field. And the top 50 has changed in the last couple of weeks. In fact, looking at the top 50 now, we see some movement as Bubba Watson has moved down and Brendan Todd has moved up. And Robert McIntyre of Scotland is number 51 in the world. Eric Van Royen is number 52. In fact, Van Royen finished 2020 one spot out of the Masters, ranked 51st. In these close calls, guys that have had such a chance to get into the Masters, it's always tough to go back and look at this. Kevin Streelman was 52nd at the end of the year. He lost by a shot at the Travelers to Dustin Johnson, and he finished 32nd in the Tour standings. So close, three different ways getting in. It's kind of surprising, too, to see Ricky Fowler's got such a great major championship record. He's played so well at the Masters. He's ranked 59th in the world, so he has some work to do between now and then. And we'll see if that field extends from 84 players. As Brian said, some more will win tournaments. The top 50 will change just a little bit. We could have more than 90 players tee it up at Augusta National Golf Club by the time the 2021 Masters begins. We'll talk about some of our favorite traditions, and we will recognize an anniversary in Masters history coming up next when the Masters show continues on Sirius XM. The Masters Show. Straight putt. And there is your champion of 1962 at the Masters Classic in Augusta, Georgia. The champion for the third time here at the Masters, Arnold Palmer. On Sirius XM. Great to be with you on the first ever edition of the Masters Show on Sirius XM, something we will do each week. And in this segment, we will go through some of the great traditions in Augusta National Golf Club history at the Masters. I know your favorites, the Green Jacket Ceremony and Butler Cabin. We'll go through that, how it started. How about the skipping of shots on the Tuesday practice round each year at the Masters? And yes, we will talk to John Rahm about one of the greatest shots we've ever seen at Augusta National. It happened on a Tuesday. Skipping shots across the pond on the par 316th this past November, up and onto the green, all the way around to where the Sunday hole location typically is, and into the bottom of the hole. Speaking of those hole locations, we'll also go through how those Sunday hole locations started and when we started seeing the 18th green location there in the bottom left and the 16th green location in the top left 
and on and on. The 12th hole there in the back right, we'll go through that as well. One of my favorite traditions is the Champions Dinner that's held on Tuesday night. Typically, you have about 32 or 33 of the 34 living winners that are part of the most exclusive fraternity in golf, eating dinner together there in the clubhouse on that Tuesday evening. Let's hope as many of those people can be there as possible this April. We'll talk more about how that Champions Dinner started. My favorite tradition at the Masters will be discussed in this segment in a few weeks. The inability to have a phone on the grounds. I love it. I hope that never changes. You can't text. You can't take pictures. No social media. You are completely where your feet are. Paying total attention to those that are in front of you, around you, watching the tournament. I was with a famous musician a few years ago. Nobody can have their phones. And all they were doing is coming up and shaking his hand asking him to sign an autograph of an Augusta National scorecard. And he said, now this I could get used to. Of course, the food at Augusta National, the tradition that I'm sure plenty of you have shared with loved ones when you eat a pimento cheese or an egg salad sandwich. Now, I love both, and I will eat both during the Masters each year. But if pressed, I prefer the egg salad over the pimento cheese. I know that's a big debate back and forth with that, and we will go over it. The tradition that I really wanted to spend a few minutes on this week, though, was about the support the Augusta National Golf Club has always given to international players. From the very beginning, Bob Jones wanted to create an environment that celebrated the the game of golf throughout the entire world. He could have picked an architect here in the United States of America. He could have picked one, two, or three people that lived in the United States at that time that come to mind. Instead, he went and found someone that lived in England that had created golf courses all over the world in Alistair McKenzie. He wanted to invite the best players in the world from all over the world. And if you go through the 19 different qualifications in order to receive eligibility into the Masters, you can see how it celebrates finding the best players in the world on a given year. And if those 19 different categories still don't find the best players, there's a 20th category given to special exemptions. And that was used a few years ago when Shubanka Sharmer was playing some great golf. The Indian player had played great golf all over the world had not gotten into the top 50, but Augusta National felt he should be included. I love that they do that. I love that they put the flags up from every country that is represented in the Masters. They do that on the practice range each year. And so far this year, they're going to have to put up 22 different flags. The United States, of course, has the most representation. 41 players from the United States have already qualified. Second best is nine as England currently has nine players in the field. South Africa has five. Australia has four. Canada and Spain have three. Mexico, Germany, and Scotland have two. And as we told you earlier, Robert McIntyre of Scotland is number 51 in the world right now, so he could become the third Scot to join the field. It's great to see 
the international feel that Augusta National Golf Club has, not just with its participants in the Masters Tournament, but also with its membership. If you've been there in recent years, you may have noticed that, is there are people from all over the world wearing green jackets. And I love how Augusta National has spread its seed throughout the planet, especially with its partnership with the Asia-Pacific Amateur, the British Amateur, now simply called the Amateur, and the Latin American Amateur Championship as well, which will resume next year. So I definitely wanted to pay tribute to that in one of the great traditions at Augusta National Golf Club, and that is paying tribute to international players all over the world. I know the feel of this year's event will have that as much as ever. Now, one other thing we will do in this segment is we will talk about anniversaries as we will look back at a landmark moment that happened in the history of the event. Since it's 2021, let's go back 80 years to 1941 since Jackie Burke Jr. mentioned his name just a little bit ago. I asked Mr. Burke if the reason why he went to Wingfoot Golf Club was to work under Claude Harmon, and he said, well, it actually was because of Craig Wood and the friendship that Mr. Wood had with Jackie Burke's dad, Jack Burke Sr. Craig was from Lake Placid, New York, and he encouraged Jack Burke Jr. to come work there at Wingfoot, and the rest is history. Well, 80 years ago, on April the 6th, 1941, Craig Wood of Lake Placid, New York, topped Byron Nelson by three shots to win his first major. Wood shot a first-round 66 and went wire to wire for the victory. Wood, who finished second in the first two Masters, would also win the U.S. Open that year at Colonial Country Club in Fort Worth for his only other major victory. Wood was 39 years old, the best golfing year of his life. He played in 25 Masters, making the cut in 17 of the first 18 he competed in, which included five top tens. Just terrific to look back in history 80 years ago with Craig Wood winning. 87 days from now, the Masters will begin. There's some other great traditions that will happen that week. 86 days from now, the Par 3 tournament will be back on Augusta National Golf Club's beautiful Par 3 course, and we will broadcast it for the first time ever on the radio at 3 p.m. Eastern time on April the 7th. Put an alert in your phone to listen to the Par 3 tournament here on Sirius XM. Now, in 83 days, the drive, chip, and putt will be back. This one gets me every time. I love two-time Masters champion Bubba Watson always coming to Augusta early just so he can see the conclusion of this event. Bubba has this childlike smile about him that he's always carried himself with, and I know he loves seeing those children compete on the grounds of Augusta National. I think all of us love to see the next stars of the game and see the amount of joy somebody has playing golf. Can you imagine the amount of joy your child would have if they're at Augusta National Golf Club? 83 days from now, the drive, chip, and putt will be going on on that Sunday, April the 4th. And on April the 3rd, in 82 days, the conclusion, 
of the Augusta National Women's Amateur. Jim, Jennifer Cupcho of Wake Forest won the first one two years ago. She has since turned pro and had a great start to her career. We weren't able to have this last year, but we'll have another terrific field in the Women's Amateur this year. It'll start at Champions Retreat just down the road from Augusta National and finish there on the grounds that Saturday. I cannot wait for that. Thank you to Augusta National Golf Club for making this show possible. Thank you to John Albanese for producing it, to Brian Catrick as well for being part of it, and to Jack Burke Jr. and to Robin Burke. I'm Taylor Zarza. Remind you whether you agree or disagree, it's all for him. We will join you once again next week on the Master Show on Sirius XM. <laughs>